Welcome to Calvary Chapel of Columbia, where we're unpacking God's truths one verse at a time. And now here's Pastor Tim with today's message. Immensely, with an intense love, with a passion. God is not in heaven right now, this very moment, steaming mad over what happened on Friday. God loves every single person in this world, and He is trying to reach people. God is not, God, you know, how do we know that? Well, that verse has a verse 17. It's amazing. John 3.16 goes to John 3.17, and it says this, For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world. But what? But in order that the world might be saved through Him. The world might be saved through Him. That's God's heart for the world. Listen, there can be incredible frustration in the church today because of the things that are going on in our world today. But let me tell you that in your frustration, don't you miss the calling that God has for you. And your calling is to present His love to a dying world who needs Jesus Christ. We are not, we don't have the license to allow our opinions, to allow our frustrations to come out on a world who is desperately needing Jesus Christ. Okay, that's what pushes people away from Jesus. What the church needs to do today, right now in this very hour, is to stand up and to love people where they are not could condone what's happening. That's not what I'm saying. But your response to that is a response from the King of Kings. It says that you're his ambassador and he sent you into this world in this time, in this day, to represent him. Now represent him. Do what Jesus would do. Jesus didn't get wrapped up in the political scene when he came to earth. You know what I'm saying? We're pilgrims here. Why would we care what happens on this earth? This is not our home. We care about the people that inhabit this planet, and we are called to bring a a, a message of freedom to them, and that, that message is Jesus Christ hanging on a cross. That's our message. That's what we're called to do as the church. And I think for us to do anything else would be to misrepresent God intensely, God wants to show the world that he loves them. And and, and please don't misunderstand me. That doesn't mean we don't have a voice and we don't say that what is happening is against the word. That is true. It is true. But God's not trying to conform the world. He's trying to save the world. He's trying to save the world. The greatest thing that any one of you guys can do today in response to what happened is share the gospel. You want to change this world? You change it one heart at a time. You, tra- you bring Jesus Christ to people. You will change the world. That's what happened 2,000 years ago with the disciples when they brought uh, the message of the gospel into the world. And that's the continuation of what we are called to do in this church age, to bring the gospel. Bring the gospel, amen? Let's bring the gospel, man. Listen. In order for us to be set free, in order for any person to be set free, someone has to pay the debt of our sin. Someone has to pay it, and Jesus is that someone. He willingly came, the Bible tells us in Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 through 7. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God, a thing to be grasped, that says that Jesus is God there, but, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. Jesus willingly came. He emptied himself of his glory. He, he said, I'll, I'll, take the, I'll take the charge. I'll win, the, I'll win that war. I will come in and I want that trophy, those people. You know, the Bible tells us in Hebrews chapter 12 that it was for joy that was before Jesus Christ. You're his trophy. He loves you, man. 
He willingly came to this earth. And not only that, he laid down his life for you. He willingly laid down his life. I don't know why this thing's cutting out, but don't let that distract you. Because the truth is, Jesus came to willingly die. John chapter 10, verses 17 through 19. For this reason, the Father loves me because I laid down my life that I might take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. This charge I received from my Father. Jesus didn't have, uh, didn't have his life taken from him. Don't misunderstand what happened on the cross. He willingly gave it up. He willingly gave it up. Remember those words from the cross. Father, in your hands I commit my spirit. Jesus willingly gave up his life in that moment. He could have called down angels from heaven. He could have separated himself from that cross and levitated before the people if he wanted to. But he didn't because you're his trophy. And sacrifice is how we become free. And he saw you in that moment before the foundation of the world. God was thinking about you. He was thinking about who you, all the things that you would ever do, all the darknesses you would ever find yourself in. And he said, you know what? They're still worth it. I love them that much. That I will step out of my, my Godhead. I will step out of my deity to come into this place, out of heaven. He was still God when he came here. But he was clothed in the likeness of us. Jesus willingly laid down his life for freedom's sake. For your freedom. For my freedom. And what is the result of that? What is the result? What are we free from? We're free from condemnation. We're free from the condemnation that the law brings upon us. As we violate God's, God's law, that's the debt that, that is starting to accumulate. And the result of that is condemnation. But if you're in Christ, the Bible says, Romans chapter 8, verse 1, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. What does that mean? There's no condemnation. The wrath of God has been satisfied on your account. No longer will you stand before God and will he judge you for all the bad things you've done. The only thing you'll stand before him uh, one day as a saint, as someone who has received Jesus Christ into your heart, is uh, for reward. Those good things that you've done, God will, balance, God will judge those things before you. What did you do with your life after you came to Christ? That's what he will judge you for. Your debt has been... Your, your sin has been satisfied. No longer do you have to worry about that. Jesus Christ did that for you on the cross. He was your sacrifice for freedom. And he's telling his disciples in verses 22 and 23, I'm coming to set you free. I'm coming to set you free, man. I'm going to be handed, in, handed over into the hands of men, namely religious men. Religious men is who he was handed into. Not the world wasn't the world that crucified Christ. You know that. It was those who were supposed to be representing him. Boy, what an indictment on the church today. As we represent, if Jesus were here today, would we crucify him again? That's the question you have to ask yourself. That's the application for us in that verse. What would you do with Jesus today if he were walking in this world today? How would you view him? The things that he did. He was the friend of sinners, they said. Oh, he dined with sinners. Oh, he was, they called him a drunk. They called him because he, he, he was ministering to those who were sick. He said, listen, 
Uh, someone who's not sick doesn't need a physician. Somebody who's sick needs a physician. I'm the physician. I'm ministering to them. I wonder what the church would do to him today. I, I know there are some that would crucify him. No question about it. Those are the ones with the picket signs out, out before the, you know, the concerts or the abortion clinics or whatever. Those, those people grossly misrepresenting God, I will say that. Grossly misrepresenting the Lord. Jesus said, I'm going to be handed over to the religious people and they're going to crucify me. But hey, take heart. Don't worry because I will rise again from the dead on the third day. Why was there no rejoicing? Why does it say that they were greatly distressed? Wait, he said he was going to rise again from the dead because all that he was going to die. That's all that they heard. All they heard. Because people don't normally raise again from the dead. That's not a normal day in any, any era. I mean, I don't, any time that, that, that this world has ever existed, people rising again from the dead, that's pretty crazy stuff. But listen, you can't allow your lack of understanding to stop you from believing the very words of Jesus. And I tell you that. Don't let your lack of understanding stop you today from believing in his word, what he says. You might not be able to connect all the dots today. You might not understand it all, but believe it. If he said it, it's going to happen. Just like on the third day, he did rise again from the dead. They didn't expect that. They didn't trust him in his word. You trust him in his word. Listen, we have a different level of understanding today than they did. We have this. They didn't have this. They had the Old Testament of the prophecies of, of the Messiah that would come that everybody was missing. It was all messed up. They didn't understand what the Messiah's mission would be. No wonder they missed him. But here's the thing. We have the rest of the story. So we have a higher level of accountability, by the way. We have more information. And we have to trust Jesus in his word even when it doesn't make sense to you. Like God is in control right now in this very moment that he appointed the guy that sits in the big chair on that hill up there. He did. And although I don't get that, his word says it is and I believe it. And I know that he's got a plan and I will trust that. And I won't worry about this stuff. This is not about me. This is not about you. This is about him and his plan. So just rest in that. Just know that he's at work. You can't, listen, there's nothing that ever happens in this world. There's nothing that, that will ever happen in your life that God will ever say, oops, uh-oh, what just happened? Wait, it's, wait a second, that wasn't in the plan. Jesus, Holy Spirit, what happened here? No, no, that will never happen. And you can trust that because he's sovereign. He's in control. He's all-powerful. He's all-knowing. And you can rest in, in the attributes of who he is. You can trust that. These guys weren't trusting the very words that Jesus was speaking to them. Up to this point, Jesus has said a lot of things they didn't understand, right? A lot of things that they didn't understand. And typically, when they didn't understand something, they would ask him. they say, hey, Jesus, I don't get what you're saying, man. What's this parable of the sowers? Sower, there's four different kinds of soil, man. You're messing me up. I don't get it. So what does he do? When they ask, he explains. But he's not going to explain unless you ask. 
Does that make sense? Like he's not going to force understanding on you if you don't want understanding. You want understanding, you'll get understanding. You've got to ask, what did they fail to do? Well, Mark's account of this, of this um, text says that they failed to ask. It, it tells us here in Mark chapter 9, verse 32, they did not understand the saying and were afraid to ask him. Man, I'm afraid to ask you, Jesus, because this is like way beyond my pay grade. I don't, I don't understand what you're saying. And, and sometimes we think we're better off not knowing. Sometimes we encounter things where we're just like, look, I don't want to know. The doctor comes in and he goes, man, I, I got to tell you something. No, 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 I don't want to know. I don't want to know. No, but you have to know so we can do something about what I'm, what I'm going to tell you, but you have to have the information to do that. No, 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 I don't want to know. God wants you to know because it's not the end of the story. Jesus had no intention of staying in the grave. Yes, that moment would be dark. Yes, that moment would be depressing. But... Don't worry, because light will come. On the third day, I will rise again from the dead. They failed to ask him, and therefore they walked in fear. They walked in great distress. They walked in their fear and their anxiety. Listen to me. If you're afraid today of something, if you're walking in anxiety in anything, uh, let me first ask you, have you sought out this? What this says about your situation? Have you looked in the word of God? Have you sought the words of Jesus? What does Jesus say about my circumstance? Have you looked to his word? And then secondly, do you believe what he says? Do you look and not believe? Do you not look at all? What is your response to your fear and your anxiety? If you do nothing like the disciples did, you will walk in fear and you will walk in anxiety. But the Lord does not want you to walk in fear. He's not giving you a spirit of fear. He wants you to walk in victory. And he has victory for you. All you have to do is look into his word. Look to him. He'll speak into your life. And then you have to, by faith, believe it. You have to, by faith, believe what he is saying. Man, when I think about my death, you know, I, it's how I came to Christ, actually, is I was afraid to die. And I had several friends die at the same time. You guys know, some know my story, but um, I was 23-ish and... Um, multiple of my friends died, and I was thinking, holy cow, I'm going to die someday. Just so happened I started having anxiety, freaking out, thinking I was dying all the time. And, you know, what did I do? I came to a realization that it's going to happen. Like I'm going to die, so what do I do? Seek information. That's what you do. Just like when you're diagnosed with a disease, what's the first thing you do? Google heart disease, whatever it is, you know, cancer. How, how can I deal with this? You seek information. I sought information, and what I realized is that death isn't the end for anybody. Death is not the end for all of us. We're all eternal beings created to live forever, but in two different places. God created us because he wants us to be with him, because he loves us. And I realized as I sought out information, that I needed Jesus Christ. That if, if I was going to die, which I was going to die, and I realized that, that I wanted to know that I was going, I knew there were two places. I knew one of them I didn't want to go to, but I didn't know how to get to the other one. Or I wasn't willing, I should say, to surrender to get to the other one. I knew what the words to say, 
I mean, I didn't grow up in church or anything, but if you hang around to anybody in this world in this day, maybe not in this day and age, but when I grew up, I went to youth groups, different things like that with friends, and I heard the gospel multiple times. And one night in the middle of, my, middle of the night in my bedroom, I accepted the gospel. I didn't walk an aisle. I didn't raise my hand. I, in fear, sought information, realizing that Jesus was the answer, and I bowed my heart to him, and I gave him my life. What happened? The fear went away. Why? Because now I know. Now I know. I know things like the word says that death has no sting for me. That the grave can't keep me. That I don't belong to this world or to anybody in this world or to the ruler of this world. I belong to the king of kings and that he's coming for me one day. If I don't meet him, you know, by, by the natural process of dying, that he's coming back to get me. That's what I know. That's what the word says and I stand on that today. And you know, the anxiety of death and the fear of death is faded. And, you know, I can think about that now. You know what? I got diagnosed with heart disease several, um, just, you know, a couple years later. What ends up happening, that fear returns. Not fear of death, because I settled that issue. I know where I'm going. I'm not worried about that. Now the anxiety is different. Now the fear is different, because now I'm worried about my family. How are they going to be, how, what's going to happen to them, Lord? And I start asking these questions. What do I do? Same thing I did. I sought information. I got in God's word. I looked at his promises. What is it? You know what I realized? Is that I'm, I'm not their provider. Did you know that? Husband, you're not your family's provider, although God's given you that, that position, that it's the Lord will provide. That's what my Bible says, that he provides. And so whether I exist or I don't exist is not going to stop God from providing for my family. So what happens? Fear goes away. Anxiety goes away. I can rest in him. Whatever fear you have, whatever anxiety you have, seek his word. He'll meet you where you are, I promise. He's not giving you a spirit of fear. You can walk in victory today. You can. I've done it multiple times and I continue to do it. And this won't be the last fear that I ever face. And this won't be the last anxiety I ever have. But every time I have, I know what to do. And you know what to do. So do it. Don't be paralyzed God's giving, you, God's giving you the remedy. Get the information and then believe what it says. And then believe what it says. Romans chapter 15 verse 4 says, For whatever was written in the former days was written for our instruction, that through endurance and through encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. Do you not have hope today? Are you lost in darkness somewhere? Again, are you paralyzed by fear? Seek his word. His word tells us that it will give us hope. It tells us that it will cause us to know more. And the more we know, the less we have to say what if. That's a dark place to live. The disciples didn't do that. And as a result, they walked in great distress. I promise you, those two days were the darkest days of their lives. As they realized their, 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 their king, the one that they, they, they proclaimed as king of kings, as Messiah, died. Now you want to talk about doubt. You want to talk about maybe we were wrong. I'm not sure who he was. They're after us. All these emotions, all this fear. They were locked in a room upstairs in great distress. Not because they didn't have the information, because they didn't believe it. 
Some of us are in that camp today. We have the information, but we're not believing it. Their moment of darkness would have been very different. It would have been very different. Would they have been sad? Yeah, they would have. Just like any Christian who knows a Christian that dies is sad when they die. But you're not hopeless. You are not hopeless. The Bible tells us we don't mourn as those who have no hope because we have hope. Because we know what happens. You see? We can have hope seeking through his word today. If they would have believed his words, they too would have had hope. Maybe they would have camped out at the tomb waiting for that third day to come. We believe you that much. We're just going to hang out here and wait. The Roman soldiers are like, what are you guys doing here? We're waiting because he's coming out of here on the third day. Oh, we'll see about that. We will say about that. It would have been a whole different story there, man. Listen, Jesus is describing to these guys how freedom would come. But he wasn't talking about physical freedom. He's talking about spiritual freedom, which is where they missed the boat there. He wants them to understand that freedom requires, or understanding freedom requires understanding sacrifice. That was our point last week. Now we'll get to this week. We have two things we want to look at today. Understanding freedom requires understanding adoption. And lastly, understanding freedom will result in living free. Okay, first, we have to understand adoption if we're really, really going to understand the spiritual freedom that Jesus came to bring us. And, and we find that in verses 24 through 26. So here's what it says. When they came to Capernaum, the collectors of, of the two drachma tax went up to Peter and said, Does your teacher not pay the tax? He said, Yeah. Yes, they do. And when he came into the house, Jesus spoke to him first, saying, What do you think, Simon? From whom do kings of the earth take toll or tax? From their sons or from others? And when he said from others, Jesus said to him, Then the sons are free. This provides Jesus an opportunity here, this, this occasion with this two drachma tax um, and this dialogue Peter has with the Jews, by the way. It's not the Romans that he's speaking to that, that have come to him. Uh, the Romans have allowed the Jews to continue this, to, to collect this tax. Now, what is this tax? This tax is a tax that God instituted in Exodus chapter 30. You can read it later, verses, uh, I think, 11 through 16, that talk about a male 20 years and older must pay the tax to the temple for the upkeep of the temple. It's for maintenance of the temple. That's what it was for. And so they would come and they would bring two drops. So what is that? That's about Tuesday's wages. So they would come and, and typically people would pay it two by two. Because a shekel equals four drachmas, so they would just give a shekel and that would pay for two people. This is probably why only Peter and Jesus are mentioned here, by the way, because Peter's the only one over 20 years old at this point. You realize that all the disciples are teenagers. Like they're 15 years old, you know, 13, 15, 17, somewhere around there. Peter's the only one over 20 years old, right? So here's the deal. Back in that day, culturally, a 12-year-old, a boy would become a man and he would go out and he would start to work and he would take the trade of his father or he would go to school whatever the case might be and and he would then um you know proceed to do whatever whatever you know whatever path he chose whether he be with his father in their trade or go on to school and become a serve somewhere else i don't know but but that's what happened peter and most of the disciples were different would had different jobs peter and the gang were fishermen you know and and there was a tax collector, and there was, there was a zealot even, somebody who was kind of wanting to rise up against Rome. So all these different types of people. Peter and Jesus were the only ones to pay the tax. So 
so this is the, the occasion that brings the opportunity for Jesus to talk to Peter. So we're going to go through this real quick. He, he, Peter is encountered by these Jewish guys, and they ask him, hey, does your, pe- does your teacher not pay the two drachma tax? Well, of course. He's the son of God. <laughs> I mean, he follows the law. He does what it says. Of course he's going to pay the tax. I mean, that's just that's a dumb question. But you understand that was a loaded question. This, this was not a normal question. And any question uh, about Jesus to his disciples or to Jesus directly was a loaded question. There was a purpose. There was an agenda behind the question. Just like when we go into the world, we're going to get loaded questions. You can expect it. You know, it's by love and grace that you respond. And Peter says, well, yes, he, he, he pays the tax. And, and, and so he comes inside. And uh, um, there had already been some, again, the loaded question thing. There had already been some, uh, some rumors that Jesus was against the temple. The Jews were zealous for the temple, man. You wouldn't speak against the temple. You find yourself stoned. They were very, very zealous. And, and Jesus had already said some things like, hey, and, and um, you, know, you know, destroy this temple in three days, I'll raise it back up. And they're like, what did he just say? He said the word temple. We should stone him. We should kill him right now. And, and they were looking to kill him. They were looking to indict him. That's why I mean what I mean by a loaded question. And, and so anyway, uh, Peter, after answering the question, yeah, he pays the tax, uh, comes inside, and Jesus says, so Peter, Peter, let me bring you some understanding to you real quick. I want you to understand something. You know, and let me give you an illustration of earthly terms. So you have a king. Who does he tax? He taxes sons? Or does he tax everybody else? And I think Peter's kind of like, is this a loaded question? Um, you know, if Jesus is asking me something, and I'm like, I have a 50-50 chance of getting this right. Please don't let me mess this up. Others? Peter, if that's the case, then the sons are free. The sons are free. The obligation to pay the tax is required, but the sons, they're free. What he's saying is, Peter, you have to understand sonship if you want to understand freedom. I'm giving you an illustration of this tax, which is a, which is a law. And I'm helping you understand that I'm going to satisfy that for you. That you're not obligated to that anymore. There is no duty to that. The duty is to me as your, as your king because you're my son. The son's free already because he's the son. But then he becomes the king, so then his sons become free. You get it? So what Jesus is essentially saying to him is that, listen, the obligations that you are facing today will be satisfied in me. The law that exists today that you are mounting up much, much debt upon will be satisfied in me today. I will set you free from that. And you will be free indeed. You will be free indeed. What becomes incredibly important for us to understand then is how we become sons. How we become sons. And and the way that we become sons, contrary to popular belief, is that not everybody born into this world is a son or a daughter of God. I said that a couple weeks ago. You know, we talk about, oh, we're all God's children. We're, we're God's creation. We're not all God's children. If, if we were all God's children, then we would all be free. But we're not. Creation. But we're not all God's children. How do we become children? Through adoption. 
through, a, through adoption. That, that, that word there in the Greek only exists five times in the New Testament. Adoption and, and um, um, halothesa is, is the word. And, and it, it means to formally and legally declare that someone who is not your own child is, is, is now to be treated as your own child, including rights of inheritance. They have every single right that a, that a, that a, you know, a birth child would have with their parents. That's what adoption means. In, in this day and age, he's talking about going from somebody who doesn't have any parents to somebody who does. Somebody who has been separated and now, now has that parental guidance. And not only that, but now they have everything that comes with that. We get the concept of that, right? We understand what adoption is. So what becomes incredibly important then is how do we obtain adoption? How are we adopted? Like in our day and age, you know, well, you, you stand in line with a bunch of kids and you hope that the person coming through picks you. Or somebody's matching up profiles and hoping that you're the one, that you'll match this person what they're looking for. I'm so thankful that that does not the way it works. God wants to adopt everybody. He wants to adopt every single person in the world. There's not one person that he doesn't want to adopt, and he's trying. He's trying really hard. He's done all the work, and now he's waiting for you to accept the invitation to receive that adoption. You see, this adoption, it, it, it comes by us receiving it. Paul explains the process in Galatians chapter 4, verses 4 through 5. He says, but when the fullness of time had come, God sent his son, born of a, a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. So in the Garden of Eden, our, our, our kinship to God was lost. If we were no longer, you know, in God's family, we were, we were cast out as a result of sin. Adam and Eve were no longer, um, you know, in the family in the moment they sinned. But what did God do? He redeemed them. He redeemed them. He clothed them. Through what? Sacrifice. Somebody had to be sacrificed for those skins to be given as clothing. That's the picture we have immediately in the Garden of Eden. That's God's heart. He wants to redeem us. And so it, it tells us here that uh, we were cast out of the family of God as a result of sin. When the law was written, it became an, it became an instrument or it became a tutor to point us to Christ, the Bible says. It, it became the avenue in which we realize we can't live up to God's standard. It was meant to be the bar to help us to see, man, there's no way. I can't do all this stuff. And as we break his law, condemnation begins to heap up on us. But that's why he sent his son. That by faith, if we receive him, that all that goes away. That's how we become a son. That's how we're adopted in, into the family of God. It's through faith. It's believing in Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ, as the Son of God and the object of our faith, became a catalyst, a great exchange, where you go by, um, where you go from, from being God's creation to God's child, where you stop being just a simple creation of God and you become a child of God. It's through Jesus Christ and faith in Him. The Holy Spirit uses language like this in Romans chapter 11. Uh, we are grafted in to the root. Talking about this grafting in, you know, when... Um, I'm not a green thumb person. I will kill every plant that is ever given to me. But um, apparently, 
what happens is you can take a, uh, a shoot of a plant and you can graft it into another plant and it will become part of that plant eventually. Anybody know anything about that? Because I have no clue, but it's a great illustration because that's what he's talking about. He's talking about taking branches, sons and daughters, and grafting them into the root. That is adoption. That happens through the... And positionally, we become true Israel, which is a whole different story, and we're not going to get into that, really, but I'm going to tell you a little bit about that. Romans chapter 9, verses 6 through 8, tells us that, you know, an Israelite is not an Israelite by flesh and blood. There is a spiritual aspect to that. And as you and I become adopted into that family, and then we receive the promises of all that. Romans chapter 9, verses 6 through 7, but it is not as though the word of God has failed. For not all who are descendants from Israel belong to Israel. And not all children of Abraham, be, uh, not all children of Abraham because they are his offspring, but through Isaac shall your offspring be named. This means that it is not the children of the flesh who are the children of God, but the children of the promise are counted as the offspring. It's by faith. That's why Abraham was the father of faith. That's why anybody who comes to Jesus by faith is grafted in to Abraham's promises, and then you receive those things. You become spiritual Israel when you do that. It's through adoption, and Jesus is telling Peter here, Peter, if you're going to understand freedom, you have to understand adoption. Because the only ones that are free are the sons. And you have to become a son through this process. Well, he goes on here, and we get to our last point. Understanding freedom will result in living in freedom. He tells him how to be free first through, the, through sacrifice. Then he tells him the process is through adoption. Now he tells him when you're in that place, you're free. You can be free. You can walk free. And he, used, he illustrates this. Verses 27 through, uh, he says, or verses 27. However, not to give offense to them, go to the sea and cast a hook and take the first fish that comes up. And when you open its mouth, you will find a shekel. Take and give it to them for me and for yourself. Just as uh, Peter was told that the sons are free, no longer do they owe the taxes or anything, uh, God, Jesus was the provider of that tax. It says that he provided anyway which we'll get to in a second. It's, it's kind of an interesting miracle. This is only recorded in the book of Matthew. And what's interesting about this is not so much the miracle, although it's incredible, um, it's unique in the way that he provides, but in what it stands for. We can become so mesmerized by the miracle that we miss the message in what he's saying here. It's incredible that he cast out a bare hook, caught a fish, and there was a shekel in the mouth of the fish. That is awesome. We're not really going to talk about that. What we're going to talk about is what that means. How incredible the message is in what happened there. Because as you see, Jesus told him, go pay the tax for both of us. For both of us. I'll provide for you. Peter just, uh, Jesus just told Peter the sons are free. No longer do the sons owe the tax. No requirement for Exodus 30 anymore. Peter, you don't have to worry about Exodus 30 anymore. I set that. I, I paid that for you. You don't have to worry about it. You're not obligated to the law anymore because I satisfied the law because you're a son. Uh, John Piper said, those who trust and follow Jesus as the son of God are the true children of God and are therefore free from the old system of temple worship and its taxes. 
This does not mean that we're no longer to care about the ministry of worship. It means we are to come to God through Jesus. And if there is incidentally and culturally a building involved, we are not, to, we are not forced or coerced to support that building. The sons are free. Our obligations to the letter of the law have changed. That's what he's saying here. And for somebody in this culture, that's like, that's like incredibly devastating because that's how you've been living your life, by the law. Well, we pay the tax, Jesus. We have to, but that's, that's how we worship. We pay the tax. No, that's not how you worship anymore. I'm telling you, you're free from that. The way you worship is not by duty, but by devotion. You're no longer by obligation. You don't have to. You get to. It's a whole different system. No longer do you have to go to the temple and, and offer these sacrifices because I'm the sacrifice. No longer do you have to worry about any of these, these sacrificial laws that were taking place because I'm the one. I set you free from all of that. No longer do you have to worry about the condemnation of breaking any commandment that he laid out for us. No longer do you have to worry about any of that. Because Jesus Christ, he set us free. The Bible tells us it was for freedom that he set us free. The Bible tells us don't take back that yoke of bondage. Don't you put the law back on your shoulders. Because he set you free from that. You don't have to, 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 to present yourself to God with your good works. And here I am. Are you pleased? He's pleased with you already through Jesus Christ. He's pleased by your faith in Jesus Christ. He's pleased with His Son. And as you stand before Him in faith, through His Son, you're pleasing to Him. That's what the Bible tells us. Uh, what's interesting here is that Jesus tells Peter, go pay the tax anyway. He says, because I don't want to be offensive, so go pay the tax. I think there's something incredibly, that, incredible that we can learn from Jesus right here. Will you be offensive to people in the world? You can shake your head like this. You will. But should that be your mission? No. If there's any way, the Bible says, to live peaceably among all men, do that. The Bible tells us that, you know, if there's any way to not be offensive to somebody, go that way. Don't violate my word for it. Stand for my word. But if there's a way to do it and not offend somebody, then do it that way. That's what he's doing for the sake of the gospel. For the sake of the gospel. He says, Peter, go pay the tax because in paying the tax, it's going to tell them that we care about them. That, that we're, not, we're, not, we're not trying to wreck everything. We care about them and, and the understanding will come. But don't be offensive. Just pay it. Some of us need to hear that today. Some of us walk around with chips on our shoulders that they, we don't care who we offend. You know, and many, many Christians in this world today do that. And it's such a misrepresentation of Jesus Christ. That's not what Jesus did. That's what we see right here. He wasn't, he, if there was a way to not be offensive, he did it that way. Was he obligated to pay the tax? No. Did he pay the tax? Yeah, for the reason being that the gospel would go forth, that people's ears wouldn't close to him. And I promise you, the more offensive you try and be, the more closed off those people will be to you. And in being that to you because of who you represent to him. So be careful. Be incredibly careful about how you walk. 
You know, the Bible tells us, um, Paul wrote in Ephesians 5, I think, that be, um, walk circumspectly. You know, walk carefully amongst those who are outside. Why? Because in your walking and how you walk in the world, and I'm not talking about walking perfectly. I'm talking about being offensive on purpose. In walking, in the way that you live your life, you're representing him, and then you're, you're pushing them further away. Listen, don't be a hindrance to the gospel. Be a propagator of the gospel. Be, be a, a herald of the gospel, but don't be a hindrance to the gospel in the way that you walk in the world. Jesus became offensive to people, but that wasn't his mission. His mission was to save. His mission was to bring the gospel he tells people in Luke chapter 4, verse 42, they were trying to keep him from this place, and he said, listen, I must go preach the gospel to the other cities because that's why I was sent. You exist in this place right now in this world if, uh, for, for two reasons. To come to Christ, to, to know Christ, and to make him known. Those are the only two reasons you're here today. Ooh, the only reason that this world continues to go on as it goes on is because some people don't know Jesus and God is still trying to reach them. And he's giving every person an opportunity. And if you're here and you know Jesus, the only reason you're here right now is to tell other people about Jesus, is to make him known into this world. Don't miss your mission. You're not here to build a kingdom for yourself. You're a pilgrim. You know, don't, don't establish, don't build your own kingdom. Build his kingdom. Be about his business, not your business. He tells Peter, Peter, listen, man, go pay the tax. Go pay the tax. I, want, I don't want to be offensive to people. What he's telling Peter is that he's, he's free from, from all of that, any of that. And, and that, what does that mean for us today? It means we're free too. Because if you've been adopted into the family of God, then you're a child of God, then you're a son or a daughter of God, and you're set free. So how do we respond to that then? How do I respond to that? What does that mean for me? Don't take the shackles of the law back on your shoulders. Walk free in that. I want to talk about, you know, something that everybody gets sensitive about, and it's about giving. And we don't talk about giving unless it comes up in the Word, but here's the thing. This is what I want you to know. You're not obligated to give. There, this whole thing of tithing and, 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 you know, um, and all this stuff and robbing God and all this stuff. Wait a second. Didn't you just see just to say I was free? I've been set free, right? I've been set free. I mean, I'm not obligated to a 10% tithe. I don't have to because Jesus set me free. We don't do the tithe thing. We do an offering thing. You know, the New Testament precedence for giving is not tithing. Although we say the word, and I even say it myself just because it's ingrained in my mind, but if you study the scriptures, you'll find that the New Testament, the, 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 the way that we give, it, Paul tells us and he declares to us in 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 7, everyone must give as he is decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. That is the precedence of New, New Testament giving. It's, it's not tithing. It's not this law-bound 10%, I better give or I'm going to be in big trouble with God kind of thing. If you're a son, you're free. Now, here's the reality is that every church has bills. Every church has, you know, things that they need to pay. We have electric bill. We have lease payments. We, 
you know, different things that come up in the congregation that we need to help people with. Different people that don't come to our church that we help with. We support missions. We do all these different things. It's all based on what our congregation in their giving support. That's how we do that. But we're not dependent on man. We're dependent on him. And whatever he lays on your heart to give, you're never going to hear me say, hey, l listen, listen, you know, you're, you're not, you're, you're required to do this or you're not really part of the church. That's not the case. And you hear that on TV sometimes. And that's not right. That's not true biblical teaching. Is that a law in the Old Testament? Yeah, it is, but it had its purpose. And God says today you're free and that you can give as you want to give. But here's the thing. This is what I don't want you to miss out on. Paul said something interesting the verse before that. In, in, in 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 6, he said this, Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. There is a circle of blessing that happens in giving. As you give to the Lord freely, there is a circle of blessing that happens, and the Lord blesses you, not just monetarily. You know, I mean, I know there's, there's all these things that Christians do that are, it's, it's so, well, number one, it's self-centered, you know, well, the Bible says that I'm going to get tenfold back, so I'm going to give God a hundred bucks. He's going to give me a thousand dollars back. It's amazing. Well, man, we would be all rich if that's the way it worked. You know, tenfold. Does God bless? Absolutely he blesses. He gives me beyond tenfold. The Bible talks about that for sure, but in context. Don't take that out of context. God sees your heart. He understands the motive of why you're doing what you're doing. And the same holds true for this. The motive is so important and how you give. <laughs> you're giving, you're, 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 you're sowing sparingly because of a heart issue maybe that you have with the Lord. Maybe you're not trusting God. Maybe you have an idol in your life. I don't know. But you have to ask the Lord that, right? But here's the deal. Maybe you're giving, uh, you know, bountifully because you have an expectation being set that the Lord's going to do something. And he's saying, man, I, I can't do that because your motive's I'm going to bless you, but not that way, because you have the wrong motive. The way that we, the way that we go, come before the Lord, he sees that. And he's not fooled by it. But So here's the thing. There is a circle of blessing and giving, man. And it's not obligatory, however you say that. But here's the thing. It is something that says we should do. Paul says when you give. That's just kind of like, hey, you're going to do it. If you give, you give, you know, how you do it is between you and the Lord. Whatever the Lord put on your heart. And I'm going to be honest with you, man. I had a tithe mentality for a long time. You know, and, and we, we had on our, if you filled out a, a ministry application here early on, um, it, you might even remember this. It said on there, you know, you meet the tithe requirement. And somebody asked me about that. Well, what do you mean requirement? Tithe requirement. And it was an application that I used from somebody else. And I'm like, oh, we're not, wait a second. It really caused me to, to dig into this subject and really search out. What does the New Testament talk about as far as this goes, about offerings and things? And, and I took it off the, the questionnaire because that's between you and the Lord. It's between you and the Lord. I'm not worried. I'm not worried about how we're going to meet our bills. The Lord will provide. And he has provided tremendously, man. You guys are getting church. And you guys, you know, we don't even have to have this conversation, but it's in his word, and we're going verse by verse through his word, so we talk about it. But somebody here might have the wrong impression about church, that they think it's all about rules, and, and, and God really needs that money. He, he's, 
It's, it's the way that, you know, if you, if you don't give 10%, then you're not godly and, and that kind of stuff. And, hey, that's not the case, man. That's not the case at all. Give. Jesus said it's, blessed, it's more blessed to give than to receive, though. And that's true. And, I, and I'll tell you this whole thing, man. I've, I've, I've experienced the circle of blessing, and many of you have too. And it's interesting because the more I give to the Lord, the more he gives back to me in so many different ways, man. And I can tell you, it's my joy. It's my absolute joy to write a check to the Lord. Now understand, you're not writing a check to Calvary Chapel. You're not writing a check to, do people even use checks anymore? You're not writing a check to, you know, Tim, this is not my church. That is between you and the Lord. That's why we put it back there. Our offering box is in the back on the side. It's not the precedence. That's your private business between you and the Lord. I don't know what you give. I don't want to know what you give. Somebody else takes care of that. Because I know me and I know I don't want to have any weirdness. So I'm free, man. I don't, have, I don't know what anybody gives and I like it that way. Because my flesh could come, oh, man, they you know, you know how we are. I'm no different than you. You know how you are, man. So the, the reality is here is that I've experienced it tremendously, this blessing, man. And I want to tell you that that there is an incredible blessing in giving to the Lord, and it's a joy. The Lord, as we, my wife and I, um, first started our business, we, we were on a kind of a fixed budget, and we, the, my partner, who was my financial partner, how, um, asked me to put a budget together on how much money I needed to make. Guess what I forgot to put in there? So I submitted it to him. We got everything finalized. And then all of a sudden it just dawned on me that I didn't calculate my giving to the Lord. And so I call him back. I said, hey, I didn't put the, my giving to the Lord in. We probably need to adjust that. And he goes, no, nah, let's just see what the Lord does. And I'm like, <laughs> what? <laughs> see what? See what the Lord does? What does that mean? Well, trust the Lord. Let's see what the Lord does. There's, this, there's, you know, the Lord will provide. And do you know? The Lord provided. Not only did he provide, but, you know, and I'm not going to say we didn't have to sacrifice. But, but here's the thing, is God provided, we, were, we, we never really went without anything that we needed, and also we paid for two pregnancies out of pocket. The Lord provided tremendously, and we just continued to give faithfully, and it was an incredible thing, man. And you know, um, it, it, as much as the Lord has blessed me, there is just, uh, when I look backwards and I see those times of dependency on the Lord, where, you know, I, I, you know, I didn't have the money in the bank account, but I wrote the check anyway. And I'm just like, Lord, that, you know, I know that I, 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 somehow you're going to provide, and he always did, man. And it was an incredible thing, and you probably have stories like that yourself. All I'm trying to tell you is that's a real thing, and God is good, and he'll bless you tremendously. So just, but that isn't the motive of why we give. We give because he's our Lord, and we give because we've been given much. He gave to us. Everything that you have is his. He gave it to you. Well, I'll work for what I get. Yeah, but you know what? God gave you your health. That's why you can work. God gave you a brain. That's why you can think. God gave you hands. That's why you can do what you can do. He provides for you. He gave you the ability, the capacity to do. He gave you that job. He gives. You know, and we should, we, we, we get to give out of what he has given to us, man. So last thing I just want to say in closing out this thing is that Galatians chapter 5, verse 1, regarding freedom, Jesus said, for freedom you've been set free. 
Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. Don't put a yoke around your neck as it relates to God and your worship of him. Oh, I got to read 10 verses a day or I'm not a Christian. I got to pray at least 15 minutes a day or I'm not a Christian. I got to do this or that or I'm not a... No, that, that's workspace mentality. Don't put that yoke on your shoulder anymore. Let it go. Jesus said, take my yoke upon you because my yoke is easy and my burden is light because he's taken that yoke from you. So don't put it back on. He wants to encourage us, all of us today, to walk in freedom. We have freedom in him. Don't take back things that, that you know, that do what he tells you to do. Be led by the spirit, but don't walk by the law. Walk by the spirit. Walk in love. You know, when you do things, do them freely. Give freely. Love freely. Minister to people freely. You know, do it as he's done to you. And, and you know what? You'll find that you're right in the center of freedom. And you're walking right down the, the, that road with him. And you're like, man, Lord, this feels so good. And your relationship with the Lord will grow tremendously. So let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for this morning and just for, again, your word and the opportunity to be able to be here and to hear, Lord, more about this thing of freedom that you've given us. And I thank you that you've come to set us free from the law, Lord. No longer are we bound by those things that um, reap, we will end up reaping uh, condemnation for, Lord. We're set free. And we praise you for that today. Help us to walk in the freedom now, Lord. Help us not to take back the, sh the shackles that, that this world offers us, that our that our religious mind would offer us, Lord. Help us today to just be free in you. I pray for my brothers and sisters here today, Lord, that anyone who's walking in bondage, law-keeping, that you would help them today to see that that's no longer uh, the way that we worship you, Lord. We worship you freely because you, we're sons. We've been adopted into your kingdom, God. And I pray for anyone here who has this obligatory mindset that you would help them to see that it's not by duty that we're even here this morning. It's by devotion. We come because we get to come, not because we have to. You're that worthy, God. May you change our minds about that stuff, Lord. God, help us to not take on worldly mindsets. Lord, I pray for anyone here this morning that has not experienced that freedom. Anyone here in this place that is not walking in that's not a child of you yet, that is a creation of you, that you're trying to reach, that you desire to have a relationship with, that you would desire to adopt into your family. If there's anyone here this morning that needs a relationship with the Lord, know that he gave his life for you. And now he's asking you to give your life back to him. If that's you this morning, I just want you to lift your hand up to the Lord before him. If anyone here needs a relationship with Jesus Christ, that you've maybe been living, uh, maybe you've found yourself trying to keep the law, that you've found yourself trying to, um, you know, maybe you've been living completely and totally away from God and you want a relationship with the Lord this morning. Anyone here this morning at all that needs a relationship with you? Anyone at all? God bless you. Is anyone out here this morning that maybe just wants to recommit their life to the Lord? They, maybe they've been walking away from the Lord and wants to recommit themselves to the Lord. Anyone? Anyone? This is your time to just be right with him. He wants us free. Give you one more chance. Anybody at all? God bless you. Anybody else? 
All right. For those who have lifted their hands, you can put them down. You just say to the Lord these words. Father, I come to you this morning. I commit my life to you, Lord. You laid down your life for me. And I'm putting my faith in Jesus today. Lord, you know me. And, and you know everything that I've gone through. I'm turning away from what I've been doing. And I'm turning back to you today, God. And I'm asking you to come into my life. Again, maybe I, I'm recommitting my life to you. Whatever it might be, Lord. You know. And I'm asking you to come in today and change me. And help me to live a life for you. I believe that you died. I believe that you rose again from the dead. And because of your sacrifice, I'm free. And I receive that today in Jesus' name. Thanks for listening. You can hear more of Pastor Tim's studies through the Word of God on our website, www.calvaryofcolumbia.org. Thanks again for listening, and we hope you'll join us again as we continue to study God's Word.